Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to Hometown Glory, your Spurs and Culture podcast. I'm Charlie and joining me for episode eight of season two are Billy, Rosa and Tom. Now, much has happened since we last recorded. Highlights, if you can call them that, include an international break that broke our favourite Swede, two North London derby defeats at the Emirates and a trip to Frankfurt that, well, we're going to cover that in just a minute. No one needs a full forensic rundown of what went wrong at the Emirates on Saturday, so we'll instead head straight to Germany for the team's views on a nil-nil Champions League draw that will doubtless incorporate some lingering derby thoughts as well. Um, Billy, to you first, mate, and perhaps if you mind, can you help us sort of capture and decode the mood that exists on Spurs Twitter, kind of Spurs Online at the minute? Because, well, it's a bit weird, isn't it? Yeah, man, it's pretty uh, doom and gloom. But personally speaking, I've had a great week because this week I've um, hired a hyperbaric oxygen chamber, hired a personal neuroscientist and ordered a scouting report of Joe Rogan. So I'm hoping to become the world's best podcaster. Um, so personally speaking, I've had a great week, but Spurs, Twitter and like full meltdown modes. And I get it because like, it is, like, there's, it's, it's not as good as we were hoping it was going to be like at the moment. Like the football is pretty dire. Um, but like, I think we just need to get a grip a little bit because we're still made a really good start to the season. Like we're still third in the league. Um, we got, we're probably, you know, in a pretty good position to qualify in our Champions League group. And like this guy, he got us Champions League football after Nuno Espirito Santos. Like I think people have forgotten that. Like this guy has performed miracles in the season. And like the first sign of trouble, it's like, oh, should we just get rid of him? Or should we just get rid of this manager? Like, I think some of the like the discourse around it is a little bit over the top. But I think that kind of comes from the fact that we've just lost to our biggest rivals and that's painful. Yeah. Um, and it affects us all in different ways. So I totally understand it. But I just think we need to sort of step back from it, take get a bit of a grip. 
and uh, back this guy because he has our best chance of success. And for me, like the biggest factor in the whole context, I, I personally find it ridiculous that people are even talking about him leaving in the first place. But um, the biggest the factor for me is that if he leaves, we're doomed. Like Kane, <laughs> Kudasevsky, all of these players, Romero, Bentonka, these guys are wedded to Conte. And they make that very clear in their interviews. And if he goes, you know, if you think it's bad now, it's going to get a hell of a lot worse. Um. Yeah, I, I agree. I think we all need to take a breath. I mean, it has been a tough week for sure. I think I definitely found that defeat at Arsenal quite tough. Um, Tom, how have you found it sort of dealing with and how do you how do you find in general you tend to cope with that kind of, you know, derby, those derby defeats particularly, I think, are the hardest ones to swallow, right? I think I cope, generally cope all right, Um I don't cope very well in the office because my office is absolutely teeming with Arsenal fans. But I think people need to remember that we've lost one league game this season. Mm. Uh, And that was to away to our biggest rivals. Our record at the Emirates is terrible um, for 10 years at least. Um, And they're top of the league. They're annoyingly good at the moment. Like it's, it's one game, guys, in, in the league. And I really, I didn't enjoy the Frankfurt match at all. It was 90 minutes. I'm never going never gonna to get back. But yeah, like Billy said, Conte's record in this calendar year is, is ridiculous. Um, and yeah, he took, us, he took us to the top four when it felt like that was in, totally impossible. So I've got total faith in Conte, it hasn't been pretty, but we've played lots of um, unpretty football over the years. We're third in the league. We've lost one game this season. I've seen much worse uh, at you know with Spurs over the years. So I'm totally calm, and I still trust in Conte completely. Um, Razor, I feel like you're also pretty calm. Are you calm about? the way we're playing. Let's talk a little bit about how Spurs are playing. And did you see some improvements in Germany? Were you a bit more, you know, a bit more excited about watching us play football? Tom's just described it as 90 minutes. He's never getting back. Um, Do you feel the same? I didn't feel that way about um, the Frankfurt game at all, actually. But I think, I don't know, maybe I'm just kind of the wrong person to talk to about this because I just haven't, I just haven't experienced the football the football in the same way I think as as people who have found it bad. I know it's quite stressful to watch, but as I've said before, I find all Tottenham games stressful and I have done since the kind of year dot. So it doesn't like the vibe hasn't changed for me at all and I think we've got an amazing manager and some amazing players and I get people saying okay the front three are not clicking. Um, we've also, but we've scored, we've still managed to score quite a lot of goals and we haven't conceded a lot of goals. I, I think after an away loss in a North London derby, it, like there literally couldn't be a worse time to take stock of our team and where we are now because everybody is yeah. like the emotions are just too raw and that's fine. I'm not going to tell anyone to not be upset about it. But for me, I don't feel the same way about the football. The football is okay as far as I'm concerned. And I also, there is some other stuff going on. Let's just put it that way around that game and that club that has made me just remember 
that football is just not that important, to be honest. There are just, I know it's just sort of a ridiculous thing to say on a football podcast, but in terms of that... <laughs> football at football that, culture podcast. Football, yeah, exactly. The culture bit is much more important. Um, <laughs> it just that... That sort of... Every, like that sort of pure tribalism, my team right or wrong, I, I'm just like not on board of that really at all. And I've been pretty shaken by a lot of the nonsense that's come out after that game so and I just don't I I feel in myself quite calm about it and I would and I would rather support the club that we all do than the club that they support I'll put it like that I think that's helped me feel better about a pretty gut-wrenching defeat is the behavior of um yeah, people associated with that club and an awful lot of their fans online, I think, has made me feel actually, like you've just said, Rosa, do you know what? We might have got completely outplayed, but at least we don't have to support some of what they're choosing to support right now. Um, Billy? Yeah, and I think like sometimes we um, over overthink football. Like, I think it's quite clear that... Um, what we're missing is one of our best players, like Kudasevsky. And I think sometimes it can be as simple as without him, we're not that good at playing football. And with him, we are really good. Um, he, hasn't, I, he hasn't started a league game of Kane and Son for ages. I can't even remember the last time because Richardson had that run where he was sort of benching him and then he got injured. So it's been a long time since we've seen Kane, Son and Kudasevsky. And I think they, when they're playing well, <clears throat> we look amazing. And I think it's a, quite a simple fact that Kudasevsky not being in the team Um we don't play as good a football because the things that we're missing now, like the great decision-making, the creativity, the goal threat, he has all of that in one player. Um, so I do think, I remember when we lost to Wolves in Southampton and Eric Dyer was at the team, kind of, I remember we were talk, talking about the time that hopefully when Eric Dyer comes back in the team, we'll be good again. And we were. Um, sometimes it's like a simple game football and you're just, if you're missing your best player, you're not going to be that good. Um, so I think as soon as Kudasevsky comes back, we'll be all right. Um, yeah, and this might be a couple of grim games while we're waiting for that. But to be honest, the front three of Kane, Richarlison and Son just don't gel as much as Kulisevsky, Kane and Son do. And until that happens again, we might have to grin and bear it and just hope we get some wins here and there. I think um, the lack of Kulisevsky at the minute, and it's interesting you mentioned the die, I think, because it really... It really reminds me that with this Conte system, you really do have to have square pegs for square holes and round pegs for round holes. And if you try and stick, you know, the opposite in, it just doesn't work quite as well. And obviously on paper, a front three of Richarlison, Kane and Son sounds thrilling and exciting and full of goals. But in actual fact, you know, I don't think we're really getting the best out of Richarlison at all by playing him on the right wing where he can't cut in. He's not... I mean, he's a skillful, exciting footballer, but I don't think he's particularly creative. I think we're seeing that his, you know, he's not particularly, I don't think, gifted with through balls or threading the right weight of pass through a lot of the time. I think, obviously, though, that's something Kulisevsky is really, really terrific at. He obviously is going to be a very, very good player for Spurs, I think, Richarlison. But I think it's from playing through the middle or playing off the left that we're going to see the best from him so at the minute the attack does feel a little kind of square peg round hole with those three trying to figure it out not to mention of course and I think Billy you've made this point before you know we're obviously never going to be a particularly good or elite football team if 
Kane and Son aren't playing very well and if they're not free scoring and at the minute you know they're not playing very well I think that there was that graphic going around with the player ratings from one of the stat sites where Hugo all the defenders all the midfielders all scored sort of seven point whatever's and above and the front three were like 6.3 6.4 and I think that was that was the issue last night right it was it was kind of fine up until someone had to make a final decision in the final third and then it all broke down um but I want to talk about some positives from last night. Who who kind of grabbed anyone's eye? Did anyone really stand out? Tom, anyone for you? I mean, Benton Court. I thought yeah. he had a really brilliant game. I think um, I was kind of confused at half-time, like JJ, God bless him. Uh, it was a very Spurs panel on BT. Genius. I felt like when he first got into punditry, he was so Spurs. And then it felt like he kind of went off us a bit. Last night, he was back on it. He like <laughs> he was talking like it was one of the greatest performances he'd ever seen when we were nil-nil at halftime. And I think, and as well, um, the commentator was kind of saying, Spurs have a point to prove. I'm like, well, we don't, do we? Like, I know, you know, we just lost our, the league leaders, our biggest rivals. Anyway, um, you know, like you just touched on, the, the, in the final third, we were atrocious. Benton Kerr especially, I was very impressed by. Um, so uh, it was another kind of assured, commanding performance from him. And I think he just gets better and better in a Spurs shirt. It's, it's bizarre. We still, he still hasn't been with us that long, has he? But he's an automatic starter, obviously. Yeah, and I think uh, Hoybier had a largely good game next to him as well. And I think um, I was reading today, he made like 11 interceptions, which is like a Champions League record, like going back to 2018 or something. Oh, wow. I think, and I think, to be honest, like if you, I know Conte got a lot of criticism online last night, but I think we've coached the game very well. Like we set up the game to win and he created, from our tactics, we created like six clear openings. And on another day, we'd have won it comfortably, like away in Europe. Um, it was a pretty good like away in Europe performance. Like we actually had more possession, and we didn't sit back and hit them on the counter. We actually took the game to them. So there were definitely signs of improvement. I think in another day, I think Kane's pass completion last night was sixty percent, which is mad for someone as as good as him. Um, but I, I was actually impressed with everyone bar the front three. I think we were set up really well. Um, I know we're going to talk about this later, and I don't want to take it off Rose in particular. But um, I thought Longley was really good as well, and I think he's looking like a, a really smart sort of acquisition. And I'm kind of already getting to the stage where I was sort of hoping that we make it permanent in summer because he just does really simple things really well and he kind of reminds me a little bit of Romero and that when he's got the ball at his feet we just look like a much better side playing out from the back at the moment I think that's enough from you on Longley Billy and we should go over to a woman facing a tough kind of tug of war I guess in in terms of you know the, her affections how how's this how's this how, yeah, how's this shaping up for you, Rosa? Yeah, I'll be honest. I feel I feel torn, but I also feel blessed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was just nodding like vehemently in agreement with everything that um, Tom and Billy were saying. I think the midfield was excellent. Um, as I said to you guys earlier, I don't say this lightly, but I do feel like Benton Court has a touch of sort of Dembele's balletic poise and grace. I don't really know how he gets away with making kind of languid passes so accurate but he mm. does and it's a lovely thing to watch but yes um man of the hour uh, my new beau clement longley um i think he <laughs> yeah i think he the 
the midfield and the defence, I think, were excellent last night. And Longley was obviously a big part of that. He is, he's very calm. He's very assured. He, positionally, he just always seemed to be in the right place last night. I didn't ever feel stressed out watching him at all. I just thought this, there's a man who knows what he's doing. Um, So, you know, that covers the sort of football side, whatever, because his interview afterwards was the thing I was most obsessed with once I saw it this morning. Now, modern men's football, a lot of it is just a bin fire. But one of the gifts it has given us every so often, like they get the camera shoved in their faces all the time. And every so often you just get a perfect post-match interview where the camera, whoever that camera person was, bless you, you got the angles right. There was some elegant lighting, brought out his cheekbones and he did that great thing where players who don't have English as a first language have to like lean in, just lean in to make sure they've understood the question. And it was a beautiful thing to witness. So just exceptional work from all involved. Thank you and God bless. (laughs) I thought that would be a lovely point to end the podcast, quite honestly, but um, we should plough on. Um, so Clement is, I think, obviously streets ahead of, of General Ben right now. And it feels like he's kind of displaced him in the team, I think. I mean, I know Ben was injured, but Longley feels like he's first choice now to me. Is that, is that fair? I don't know, to be honest, because I think, I mean, because GB, he did come on last night, right? Did I make that up? Yeah, no, yeah, it did happen. So I on, think Longley was, there was that mad moment where he was, quite lucky I did forget about that yeah Yeah. he got he got a stupid yellow and then followed up with another sort of stupid tackle and then he got immediately subbed off which was yeah Yeah. but that's fine you know because now we have two really really good players in that position um which I know most people feel like isn't true of our other defensive options so I feel like (laughs) let's take that as a bonus um, yeah, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see what happens this weekend, actually, because one of the things he did say in his post-match interview was that he felt really tired at the beginning of the season because <laughs> the training was so intense. And he was like, we've got a lot of games coming up. And then he was like, but I'm really looking forward to them. So I don't know if he like, he's like, every game is a pleasure. I'm like, is it Clement? I'm not sure you mean that. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> I mean, we, we are now in a period of the season where it's every, every three, four days and, We've obviously got Brighton on the weekend. One player who will not be playing against Brighton is um, speaking of players that sort of hold great, we hold great affection for on this podcast. Emerson Royale, Billy's Billy's main boy, um, will be starting his suspension. Um, this means that someone else is going to have to play right wing back, which we really haven't seen an awful lot of. Um, now, firstly, Billy, I want to ask you about Emerson Royale's performance. Um, in Frankfurt was it a kind of redemption story of sorts I thought he was kind of okay yeah I mean like obviously I'm, I'm biased but he was classic classic Emerson performance and that there was some like really good bits there was like an insane like Cruyff turn type thing which he did to beat a player but then there was one bit where he switched off and they they should have scored really like he played good some points, yeah. and that's just what you kind of get with Emerson isn't it I don't think it's ever going to be any better than that but um, I actually realised something today which I think is mad is that Emerson is six months older than Jed Spence which is like mind blowing <laughs> <laughs> how is that a thing He's 23 and Spence is 22. And I've got this like picture in my mind of Emerson being like way older, but I don't know, man, there's, there's something there. There's definitely something there that Conte can work with, I think. And um, it's just a shame that, you know, he'll, I just, I don't know. I just, 
I just don't know. I don't think he's ever going to be able to win our fan base over, which is within good reason because he's had some like absolute shockers. And I think the sort of the getting sent off against Arsenal is like the last straw for him. But um, I think what you can say about Emerson is that he's obviously following Conte's instructions to the letter. Mm-hmm. Like, he's always in the position which Conte wants a right back to be in. And I don't think he has the talent to be a Conte right back, but he has like the, the attitude and the application. He just doesn't have the talent to be as good as a Conte wing back needs to be. So I don't think it's going to work long term. But um, I think the reason why everyone's getting frustrated and him being in the team and the, the right backs maybe people want to see is that he follows Conte's instructions and he does yeah. it. He, and at the moment, I, does, you would imagine that the other two are just not doing it in training or something like that. Mm. Um, I know we'll probably talk about the right back situation in a minute, but I just don't know what's going to happen with Spence and Doherty. I really don't. I'd be very surprised to see either of them start on against Brighton. I'm almost like pretty certain that it's going to be Perisic right back, to be honest. Um, I don't know. It's just a weird situation because we all want to see Spence. We all want to see it. It's like an exciting diamond in the rough type thing, but it just doesn't look like it's ever going to happen at the moment. It's a, it's a bit of a strange situation to be in. Maybe. Do we solve Rosa's conundrum and get Gentle Ben back on the left, have them both on the pitch at the same time? Oh, but like in all seriousness, though, um, I mean, he could do that. But I was going to say, that wasn't serious. Come on. <laughs> I mean, like, I I like ben, ben could play left wing back. I guess I mean, he's just I, not very yeah. fast, is he? Yeah, I would have left back enough, but yeah. he's just not that fast, is he? Um, but yeah, it's mad that our two best fullbacks, wingbacks are Perisic and Sessegnon. Um, and obviously the two that um, Conte fancies the most. Yeah, it seems most likely, like Billy said, that, that um, Perisic uh, plays on the right. I'm just so confused because he, <laughs> he really must hate both Spence and, and Do- Doherty. Well, Doherty is... I think it must be connected to that injury. And I feel like, I know there were some quotes from Conte that felt a bit um, <laughs> sort of mean-spirited almost towards Doherty in terms of like, you know, what do you want me to do? Play Doherty and lose? It was sort of along those lines. But I think a lot of it, and Rosie, you were talking to us in the week about, you know, perhaps the severity of that injury that he picked up at Villa Park, you know, it must have knocked him for six. And psychologically, maybe he's not, you know, committing to challenges in the way that a Conte wingback needs to and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me at all, to be honest, because I think, like, obviously sports people kind of accept a certain amount of risk and kind of an injury to their bodies. But I feel like there's got to be something different about, like, having an opponent just deliberately try to hurt you, actually, which is what happened mm. against Villa, and succeed and actually take out like six months of your career which as a footballer is quite a long time so I sort of imagine that he's kind of you know sort of regular like match fit but just doesn't have that sort of extra bit in his mind that's going to make him go and we all know that Conte just wants that like extra extra level of intensity and commitment and I just to be honest I just wouldn't blame him at all for, for not having it because it was it was pretty horrible what happened to him. So the other thing, though, do I do think sometimes because I've been thinking about this with Basuma as well, and I'm because I'm a bit like, has it got to the point now where we're just kind of going to say, oh, is it not going to work out for him at Spurs? But actually, like the season is still very young, and I know we sort of get this in our minds, don't we? About we get to the first international break, and then it all sort of settles down, and that is true, but. 
we're not even halfway through. And I think sometimes, especially with players who join in the summer, just sometimes it just, it just takes longer. It takes like half a season, sometimes even a season before they're just like properly ready. And even like, even if they're kind of fit and ready to play, it's just about kind of knitting them into the sort of fabric of the team, I guess. So I don't know. I do think sometimes we're kind of waiting. We're waiting to see these players. And then when they don't start straight away, we get frustrated. And then the kind of longer it goes on, we just think, oh, well, it's never going to work. But like quite often football, it just doesn't happen like that, right? It just, it's, you know, yeah. just it just yeah. takes time. Like not everybody's a Kulisevsky who can kind of, you know, make an instant impact. And I guess we are headed to a part of the season where we are just going to have to have some level of rotation because... I think we saw towards the end of last night's game, they were looking, they looked exhausted. Like the match was so wide open. It was kind of became like a mad Sunday league game where there was just a huge chasm in the middle of the pitch where each team was taking turns to sort of charge forwards and then they were knackered and couldn't charge back. So each side was just taking it in turns to have a big old sort of swing for a winner. So surely now that we're getting into this stage of the season where it's, you know, Champions League, Premier League, you know, Champions League, Premier League, Carabao, Premier League, just over and over and over again until the World Cup starts. We're going to have to see have to see someone. I guess we can't just rely on Perisic and Sessegnon to just play left and right side because, you know, I think we saw last night as well, Perisic does often get to about 70 minutes and maybe runs out of gas a little bit. So once someone's going to have to come on on the left for either one of those people they can't start every single match. So someone on the right-hand side is going to have to sort of make a breakthrough at some point or other, um, you know, and it's not even going to be Lucas because he seems like he's sort of gone forever. Um, is he dead? Yeah. Like, what? I don't even understand what this injury is. It just sort of was injured They're not really saying anything about it, are they? Yeah. Like, and he is, I mean, we need forwards right now. Like, we haven't spoke about Brian Hill, anyone. Um, the, I was, it was amazing that he got on. Uh, and I know we don't want to be too negative, but fucking hell, he was so bad when he came on, wasn't he? I, I think it was one of the worst cameos I've ever seen from a Spurs player in like a, in a match that means something. And, and, like, and we've had, watched Nkudu. Yeah. yeah. And well, Angie. Um, and yeah. And it was, but it was that level, wasn't it? It was like, yeah. this person is so out of their depth. Like, they yeah. don't physically look like they should he, be here. He's, he had a couple of bad cameos the first time round when we first bought him, but this was a, like another level. And he they were in like the conference the, league, so it was kind of irrelevant. This is like the champion, an away yeah. game in the Champions League. He lost the ball about five times in 10 minutes and just looked like a total headless chicken, which is obviously absolutely not what Conte wants. He wants someone who knows where he is on the pitch and what he's doing. And he had no idea. So yeah, it's such a, I think when he came on, I was like, where is Lucas? Because fuck now we need another forward, a grown up. It's, um, it's kind of, a, not that I'm wishing that we like signed Dan James or anything, but it does make me think, oh God, if they could have just sorted that loan for, for Brian Hill to go back to Valencia and they could have brought in just an extra person, even like a Dharma or someone, you know, where you could have him running at a tired defence or whatever, just someone who could execute a plan in a way that, yeah, you're right. It wasn't so much that he was even losing the ball every 30 seconds. It was just, he looked like he had no idea where he was supposed to be on the pitch. It was like dropping a 12 year old into a football game and just hoping that they 
you know know what they're, know what they're up to. And I think that that kind of all summarizes, I think, one of the main criticisms of Quanta that I'm seeing online um, and something which I'm also struggling to get my head around is why we're not switching to 3-5-2 because we can't, we just can't play Kane, Son and Richardson every single game while yeah. Kuda's out. Like, it's just not going to happen. So if we switch to two up front, then we could at least bench one of them and bring have them as an impact sub. It just seems quite baffling at the moment. Like, and I understand why people are getting frustrated with it. And I just don't really understand what's going on. Like, because we've got Brighton at the weekend then we've got Frankfurt again and then we've got Ma- and then we've got um, Everton after that and then Man United all in like the space of a week um, two weeks and like they can't start every single game all three of them until Kulisowski's back so we, we surely have to see the change to 3-5-2 right like it has to come because Hill is not is not up to no. it he's not going to be uh, no. he's not someone we can rely on and there literally isn't anyone else it's not even like a Dane Scarlett around seemingly that's sort of pushing towards the fringes of the first team squad from the youth setup. And hopefully, you know, if you do finally switch to a 3-5-2, that's hopefully a chance for for Basuma to come in and finally get those minutes that you would hope that he needs. And I, I know there was some talk that he came back off international break having picked up an injury and or a knock or something. Because I know he, he did come on against Arsenal, didn't he? But did he, he did come on against Arsenal, didn't he? I feel like I've, I've already like men in black style sort of wipe that game from my my brain but um, yeah or Skip as well because I mean you know I know Skip got on at the Emirates as well for his first minutes in like three and a half years but those two being up to speed and being able to rotate with Hoybier and Benson because that's the other thing right is that we're asking an awful lot of those two every single game to basically run the midfield by themselves, usually in a situation there where they're up against three central midfielders and having to just do all that work and play 90 minutes each, each sort of, you know, both of them every three days. So hopefully, I don't know, Rosa, do you reckon Brighton's the game to switch formations and give one of uh, Richarlison's son or Kane a bit of a break off the bench? I just, like, what would... What is the sort of objective of switching to a three-five-two? Like, is it is it just to give one of one of our forwards a rest so we can sub one of them on? Is it to try to bring Kane and Son closer together so where they kind of can work a bit more like they used to? Is it to strengthen the midfield? I like, or is it kind of all of those things? I just. I feel like I, because Conte just has has the team that he wants to play, right? And he has the formation that he likes. So what would be the reason for changing? Do you know what I mean? I just feel like we kind of talk about this formation and it's not happening. So there has to be a reason that it's not happening. And well, is I think it you've because given, Conte I think you just gave some really why? good reasons there. I think it's, it's kind of all, of, I think you're right in that it's all of those things. I think it's about giving, we can't flog those three to death up front every three days we maybe need to have uh, you know I suppose tactically a lot of what people are saying is that having an extra body in central midfield gives you a chance to have a bit more control of the ball um and yeah I think if you are playing Kane and Son closer closer together like I suppose we saw in the Leicester game where they were working a bit more as a sort of partnership up front maybe that's Maybe that's a good thing too, but Rosie, but does it create deeply unconvinced? Yeah, no, it's not that. <laughs> it's not that I'm unconvinced. I'm just thinking, does that because one of the complaints has been that we're not 
that we're not creating enough chances. I mean, we actually did create quite a lot of chances last night. So does taking and does taking a forward away that, from that, that mean, you know, that's do you know the, what I mean? That, that yeah, would also that's be a, a counter. That's a counter to all this is that we're asking for more attacking football and an, an awful lot of people seem to be suggesting the way to solve that is removing an attacker for quite a defensive-minded central midfielder, which does seem contradictory. Um, yeah, and I mean, you can see the complaints already, right? Like if we went to a three-man <laughs> midfield, then people would be like, oh my God, this football is so stodgy. So, I don't know. It's just one of those things, isn't it, where if... This season's so dumb. I can't stand it. Every time I think about the, the <laughs> you know, the lost weekend where the FA just lost its mind and said we just have to be like maximum respect and every other sport was like, no, it's fine. We can carry on playing. It doesn't matter. And then now we've got, then we've got the fucking World Cup in the middle of it. I just, I don't know. I don't even know how, any of, how we're going to get through it. Like the players, us, emotionally, it's just, I don't know how you manage any of that really. So... I don't, I don't have any answers, basically, is what I'm saying. Just a lot of questions, but good Just questions. Just many questions, yeah. <laughs> um, Tom, I want to know what you would do against Brighton, and perhaps this is a, a neat point for us to start thinking about at the weekend. Um, bearing in mind those games that Billy mentioned we have coming up, thick and fast, you know, perhaps the issues around not creating an awful lot, although actually we did create a certain amount last night. What would you do? Would you switch formation? Would you take one of the forwards out of the team? How would you mix it up? I think I'm up for 3-5-2 um, with Richarlison probably starting on the bench and being the one to come off the bench and cause cause a madness. Um, I think your intro at the start of the show reminded me that actually Leicester wasn't that long ago. And I know Leicester are fucking terrible, but we did suddenly all think everything had clicked at that point and mm. um, that Sonny was going to go on a ma- an amazing run. He was then pretty bad against Arsenal, wasn't he? And pretty toothless um, against Frankfurt. So I think, and we can't run all three of them. When if Kul- Hopefully Kulazewski's back in, what, a week, 10 days. Um, but we can't run Richarlison, Son and Kane all into the ground. So I'm fine. I'd, I'd like to see 3-5-2 and hopefully Basuma knows Brighton pretty well. It should in some ways be the perfect game for him to come in. You know, that, that would be the hope if he is fit enough. Billy, what would you do? Would you switch formation? Um, I would say this would be the time that I would switch formation just for this game. Yeah, I would. Um, well, I think what it should, uh, uh, you know, I'm not going to question Conte. Like, obviously, he knows much more what he's doing than I do. But I think I personally would like to see 3 5 2 in this game just because there's quite a good chance. And it happened when we played them at home in our last game against them. They overran us in midfield. They put three in midfield against us and, like, um, dominated the midfield. But that was ironically enough because of Basuma. Um, so I would switch to a three in midfield. Um, but what I think will happen is he will stick to the same formation just with Perisic and right back and Sesson your left back. So I think. Uh, um, I don't know. It's, it's kind of like a weird situation around Conte, isn't it? He's sort of as if he's sort of kind of like he got so annoyed by the media question in his formation that he's now just going to stick with it even more so, which I kind of respect in some ways, to be honest. Like, that is, that's what winners do. Like winners are stubborn. Klopp, Guardiola, Mourinho, all of these people are ridiculously stubborn mentalists and that's why they're as successful as they are. So, um, you know, who am I to question that? 
Yeah, there's a small part of me that would not be surprised at all if you just played exactly the same 11 for the third consecutive game. It was just like, yeah, and what? what are you gonna do Even just that? put Emerson in illegally just to prove a point. <laughs> <laughs> um, not, not entirely shocked for that to happen. Um, I want some predictions for the game on the weekend, please. Rosa, you can start. What do you reckon? Tottenham Hotspur at the Amex. Um, I think we will win 2-1. Okay. Any scorers you want to give us, perhaps? Um, I think... Do you know what? I'm going to say Sun is going to score. And then maybe Hoybier. Why not? He's done all right okay. so far this season. Okay. 2-1 for Rosa, Tom? I'll say 3-2. Just on a Ooh. sort of... Um, Sexy. You know, them... What happened against Liverpool when they played Liverpool the other day? They sunk, they scored three, didn't they? Uh, so let's say 3-2. And I'd love to see... I think Perisic is still a fucking don. Uh, so I'd love to see uh, some magic from him. Maybe uh, an assist. He's not scored yet. Not? He's not let's scored yet. He needs a goal, doesn't he? He does, yeah. And yeah, I thought he was going to score last night. There was a couple of moments where I thought he was really going to going to let rip but it didn't quite come he puts in brilliant crosses but I feel like I want to see him on the edge of the box just absolutely spank one well actually I mean one not that we need to take away one of the only wing backs that Conte likes from a wing back position but one one option I guess to freshen up the front three would be to play Perisic further forward occasionally and have him playing on the left or or the right um, like he does for Croatia so we could we could do that I don't know if I feel like Conte is so stubborn that he's just like, no, I'm not going to listen to, not that he's tuning in necessarily, sort of wondering what the four of, the, the four of us are wondering. But um, yeah, I could do that. So Tom's 3-2. Billy, your score, please. Um, I think it's going to be a tough game for sure because it's the new manager's first home game. Um, yeah. And obviously Roberto a very, very, Zerbi. Yep. very good result at the weekend against Liverpool in which they probably deserve to win that game. Um, but I just think I think we're going to win 2-0. I think they'll probably, like with the crowd and everything, they'll just come straight at us um, and we'll hopefully be able to pick them off. And it's like the kind of team that you would want to play against and that you kind of maybe want to sit back and just like smash them on the counter because they're not as good as like Arsenal and stuff like that. So I think it's it could be like the sort of game that is that goes well for us. I think we'll win 2-0. And I think Kane will score both of them. Okay. Okay. I think we're going to draw. I'm quite nervous about this game. I've I think the fact that it's Brighton's first game at home with the new manager, um, hopefully, Billy, it does pan out like you're hoping and that they do just go gung-ho and the crowd sort of roars them on to the point where we can pick them off. Um, but yeah, they they do seem like they're in really good form and I think they were quite unlucky against Liverpool and seemed like they were creating a ton of really good chances. And that Trossard guy who, of course, broke our hearts in the back end of last season when he scored the winner, scored a hat-trick last week. So he seems like the sort of bloke that's going to um, run rings around whoever's playing right wing back for us. <laughs> we shall By see. Way, if, um, if we're talking like signings, like he would be such like an ideal signing, really, like as, as a backup front three. Like, I think Everton nearly signed him in summer, didn't they? Yeah, because like, his contract's, I think, straight in the summer, there. I think. That'd be like such an easy signing. Like, definitely do that. It, yeah, it does make me wonder... If come January, we might see a couple of sort of Kulisevsky, Bensonkur types come in, um, you know, just looking at the sort of strength we had on coming off the bench in the last couple of games where there's really not an awful lot of senior players to 
lean on going forward once one or two players are out. Perhaps that's something we'll see in January. Um, okay, that's a round of predictions. Um, oh, can I tell you just one thing that I feel like is is in our favour? I thought this yeah. game was going to be like a horrible twelve thirty kickoff, but it's actually five thirty. So that gave me like a little. You see, I'm the opposite. Oh, no, 12.30s are terrible. They're terrible. But I think 12.30s are awful if you're the home team because I Mm. think the crowd find it really hard to get into it because they basically just have breakfast and no one's bang up for getting two on it. Uh, It's Brighton. There's going to be loads of Spurs fans. It's not like going... Do you know what I mean? It's just down the road. Yeah, I I just feel like... Because it's it's 5.30 this time of year. That's an evening game. So I just feel like... That's a that's a good atmosphere. But then I don't know. We just went to Frankfurt, who have got the like rowdiest fans pretty much in Europe, and that didn't seem to phase us all that much. So I kind of the slightly fans, revved Frankfurt up our match. Fans. Yeah, okay. I'm always like, you know, those those fans that people talk about, like Frankfurt, and I know that club is like dear to your heart as well. But I also just feel like, how are you? Those fans who make noise all the way through, I'm like. <laughs> Do you always feel like your players deserve it? Because <laughs> I really don't. <laughs> they must be so hoarse. Like yeah. you know, you know, on a like a Monday morning, if you've uh, been, you've maybe been to a big game, had a big night afterwards, you're a bit hoarse in the office. You feel a bit embarrassed. They do that every week. Says, like, why are you so croaky every fucking week? Yeah. yeah. Like, no, just I feel a bit like have some self-respect. It's, Come on, man. It's, it's knackering <laughs> just watching them. It was knackering last night and it was just relentless. And it wasn't just like seemingly a couple of thousand fans doing it. It was like half the stadium were just doing that same chant over and over and over again. Well, so what's the thing? So obviously next week, um, didn't they take over the new camp basically when they played Barcelona? But that I think was Barcelona um, being quite stupid. And like, they took over the Emirates once, if you remember. They all like barged into the home end. Oh, yeah. Back in a few years ago in the opening as well. Which, the good uh, news yeah. is we never let away fans into the home end. So it's not going to be a problem. <laughs> oh, also, the, my, my worst thing is we'll let, them, we'll let drums in. They'll have Of course drums. we will. They'll of course get a we will. fucking little yeah. snare in and it'll be so annoying all game. Um, yeah. It should be a really good atmosphere, though. I think that despite the fact they'll have drums and will probably infiltrate the West End particularly, it will... Because um, we, really, we had a really weird situation at the Marseille game. I can't remember if I spoke about this in the podcast. I don't think I did, where there was a guy sat in front of us. There were a couple of Marseille fans sat in front of us. And one of the fans was in a Marseille shirt. And this caused, not like a ruckus or anything particularly dramatic, but... A few people, including me, being a bit annoying, were like having a chat with him and asking him if he felt like this was, you know, a sensible thing to do. And it was more, I think, people asking him for the sake of like his own safety. Like, do you really think turning up for a fairly big Champions League game, sitting in with the home fans, boulders brass in your Marseille shirt is particularly wise and I guess like respectable thing to do and I came away from that because I was like you know you need to show more respect when you go to you know someone else's ground this is you know sacred place for fans and was like oh god did I get a bit pious about it all but I don't know what what do you I mean you guys would never pitch up at an away ground certainly not, not in the Premier League but even in Europe you wouldn't sit in with the home fans in a Spurs shirt, right? 
No. I think it's just needlessly provocative. Yeah. Like it's deliberately provocative, to be honest. And I don't like, it's not even like, oh, it's disrespectful or whatever. It's just like, you're doing it on purpose. You're mm. a child. Stop, like, just behave yourself, basically. My main thing is I've been offered tickets many times in the wrong end. And my entire enjoyment of going uh, from going to a game comes from being able to celebrate a goal wholeheartedly and sing songs with people. Uh, and, you know, what a nightmare just having to keep your mouth shut and sit on your hands for the entire game. I once sat in the main stand at Upton Park um, for Poch's first game. Um, when we beat West Ham 1-0 with that Eric Dyer goal in the last minute. And that was a wild game to sit with wrong fans for because I don't know if you remember that one, but I mean, obviously everyone remembers the goal at the end, but we went down to 10 men. Carl Norton got sent off and then they missed the penalty. Martin Noble missed the, the subsequent penalty. Then they had a man sent off and like everything that could provoke quite an outsized reaction from a football fan happened. But my brother and I just had to sort of sit there on our hands, just not really reacting to anything. But while also, I think I did that really annoying thing of like, not sort of joining in with the slagging off of Spurs players, of course, but like I would make a noise if like Adebayor like miscontrolled the ball and then just be like, ah, oh, God, that Adebayor's terrible, isn't he? What a terrible player. Oh, he's rubbish. I hate him. <laughs> and just was like so clearly just pretending to be a West Ham, not a West Ham fan, but just, yeah, anyway, weird experience. And I just remember like my brother and I not really daring to say anything until we got back to like London Bridge and then just sort of exploding and finally getting to celebrate that incredible goal. A weird experience. And I certainly wasn't wearing a Spurs shirt. That's like my, I think that's like my favorite season of football. That first like ever as as a Spurs fan, I think, even though we went on to be like a much better team, I just I loved that. I love that team. Even you know, even now thinking back, and I'm like, oh my god, yeah, Carl Norton was involved, and he was so 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 poor. But like once Potch had kind of got rid of like the bad apples, it was just like good lads. Yeah. It's and like, mad to, yeah, like it was Eunice so lovely and it was, so was much fun. club captain at the beginning yeah. of that season. Like, no. And that's why I was like vice captain. <laughs> <laughs> and it was the Kane breakthrough season, which will exactly. never be topped yeah. as a f- experience. And that as a fan will probably yeah. never, never be topped. Like when he like, came on for Soldado, scored and then just like pretty much scored every game for the rest of his career since. A few of my friends were talking about watching the Spurs-Arsenal game on the weekend and feeling particularly sort of morose, thinking that, that Arsenal team sort of reminded them of when, not first season Poch Spurs, because I think Arsenal are sort of a level above that, but that those couple of seasons, the sort of Leicester season, then the Chelsea season afterwards, when we were really kind of riding a crest of the wave, there was that, you know, there was that real unity between the players and the crowd and the manager and everything just felt joined up. And obviously there are some hideous elements to what, Arsenal are sort of putting out into the world right now that Rosa mentioned, but just that general sort of way that they're playing even as well, like the team sort of fairly young, etc. It really made me sick. <laughs> just really made me sick. Um, the good the thing hideous... about that is, 
Sorry, Bill, you go first and then I'll and the, have my rant. And the good thing about that is, of course, it will all mean absolutely nothing because Haaland and Man City are going to win every trophy that ever exists now because he just scores like two goals every single game or three goals every single game. So, you know, if that's what it has to be, then at least it's come at the right time that their best ever team in recent memory since Wenger is going to come at the same time Man City have like a ridiculous robot freak of nature that's going to win every single trophy. So fuck them. And of course, they took great pleasure in telling us that us finishing runners-up and being involved in title races without winning anything meant absolutely nothing. So their little dalliance with the top of the league will mean absolutely nothing as well. So there you go. It will. And it will mean nothing as well, because I think the horrible stuff overshadows absolutely everything else. I'm not like I know, obviously, there's things we can't say, but I just want to say this, which is that... Do you, okay, so a few years ago when um, Gray and Keys like finally got the boot for being like obvious, disgusting, misogynistic creeps and it was like, oh, we've done that now and these kind of men are not allowed in football anymore. What Everything that has happened has just made me realise that there's like this kind of sheen of like respectability and tactical brilliance and I don't know, whatever, like elegance and skillfulness that's been kind of put on top of men's football to make it look really nice and look like it isn't how it used to be. But those men are still there everywhere at every level of the game that we love. And it is utterly utterly toxic and is not going to end until people who are in positions of power and who have responsibility and who can do something about this until they accept the responsibility that they have and they do something about it and that is all I want to say about that I think that's very well said Rosa that's very well said um and thank you for saying that let's get off men's football and talk about women's football um which I definitely came away from this weekend thinking, do you know what? I really hope my daughter does actually like women's football more than men's football because I think that would be an easier path <laughs> all round. Um, how's the path been so far for Spurs women this season, Rosa? Because of various sort of scheduling things, we've not really had a big chance to chat about their start to the season, which we're going to also gloss over their hammering at the Emirates as well, <laughs> which slightly... Uh, sort of scuppered their decent start which we won away at Leicester which was a kind of handy result and then we played on the weekend and it was a cup game right? Yeah I mean I also don't feel that bad about the um, Emirates game either because they're on a different level they're just they're just so they're so far ahead of us it was a salt you know it was a sellout crowd um, a record crowd and you know, they have, you know, that just even like the, op- the options that they have on the bench were ridiculous. You know, they could start with Miedemar and then bring on like Sweden's star striker. Like they're just like levels and levels ahead of us. And while that is galling, it just means that you, I just cannot feel too upset about it. And I, I had like, I, I know that like I had sort of an argument with Ollie about this because he was like, it feels like they did actually kind of crumble a bit, which maybe they did, you know, it's a lot of pressure in that stadium, but I also feel quite forgiving of that. So, you know, but also now that game is done out of the way, whatever, we don't have to do it again. And um, 
had a good game in the Conti Cup. We beat Reading 2-1 and that's a, that's a good result, I think, because they're pretty solid as well. And the really positive thing about that was, again, Ash Neville scored, but also um, Nikola Karczewska got her first goal on her like full debut, which is really, really encouraging, I think. And this weekend, finally, gets to have the first home game at um, Leighton Orient stadium at Brisbane Road so I think that'll be really exciting especially because it's against Liverpool mm. who have just who've just been promoted and I think they've done they've done pretty well they're just ahead of us but on goal difference so I think they're really trying to kind of I think after sort of years of not necessarily um caring about their women's team I think they've finally decided to do something about it so I think they'll actually be a team to watch out for this season yeah exactly yeah which is, you know, a hilarious and, you know, <laughs> be like, that's, that's quite good. So I think that'll be like, that should be like a really fun, um, good get. I think all the, like all of our season tickets are sold out now. So I'm quite excited about the video. I think the team, it, it looks to me like the team is still kind of finding its feet and sort of settling in with like the, the formation isn't quite decided and the players are sort of still kind of slotting in. So I've, I think that is going to take some time and I think we will probably have to be a bit patient and it isn't necessarily going to be like the leap that we thought it was going to be. Like we're not going to like immediately kick on from last season, but I'm really looking forward to it. Like i like I wish I was going. I think it'll be like a really, really fun game and a really fun day out. So I imagine Ash Neville will score again because that just seems to be what she's doing. I think they're playing she's playing further forward. So hopefully that, you know, again it's like phase two of like the bail trajectory, which I really like I feel that's really gonna happen for her. She she needs to call up to the England squad, man. She, she yeah, so deserves one. Yeah, it's a real piss take to be honest, because I just they've done it again, like is it just because she's like, because she's 29, is she? She's sort of not, is it because she's it's, not like a 22-year-old, basically? I guess maybe that's part of it. And it's also, you know, there's Lucy Bronze, but apparently mm. it's also because she didn't ever come through like the England youth setup either. So she would be coming from outside. But I also right. just think that's also, you know, is this, is it, like, I, like I just think like the national sides should be like should be like a real meritocracy and I think you see the mm. problem with Southgate's England as well where he's really he really got stuck relying on his guys when actually what took him to success I think was just being like I'm just gonna play who's it just felt like he was just gonna mm. play who was playing the best and now it feels like he's just kind of relying on his guys and I've I mean, like, whatever. I'm not going to criticise Serena Vigman, am I? Because she'd literally just won the Euros. <laughs> so, sounds a bit like you are. But, you know, people literally, like, Tottenham fans criticise Antonio Conte. So, really, <laughs> we could we could do whatever we like. Um, it's just a bummer, isn't it? Like, I'd like to see her. I think she deserves, mm. like, at least one call-up. Come on, man, you know. Yeah, yeah. Some sort of, like, Kevin Davies. Like, remember when he, like, played for England once? Like, exactly, man. Listen, I love Ryan Mason, but, like, Ryan Mason has played for England. Come on. <laughs> Was it was it against Italy that sort of famous shot after like the good Spurs lads hugging each other? Yeah, it was like Harry and Ryan and Andros and Danny Rose and Carl Walker. I guess was probably there as well. Yeah, like it was mad, wasn't it? It was quite. um, I was sort of thinking about the World Cup a bit today, and I mean, it's a whole other conversation. I think about how we all feel going into this weird World Cup and all the rest of it, but like. Just and I felt that stress again watching the um, watching the Germany game, 
and just really hoping that Eric Dyer didn't do something stupid because I feel like he's one of those easy targets that fans online were just being like, oh, fucking Eric Dyer, like, what's that donkey doing back in the team? And he's rubbish, blah, blah, blah. And I'd forgotten about how stressy was it it was the 2018 world cup and we had like half oh the god team. the penalty shootout i literally oh, i was like thing, I, ca- yeah. I can't i can't i was like i don't care what happens i just need none of the spurs lads to miss and they didn't which they didn't yeah it's insane is yeah i mean eric dyer scored the, that winning pen but do you know what the- i mean like it was kind of when it was just harry last summer and also relief yeah yeah and also he was sort of half out the door at the time anyway or whatever so it was a bit like I was kind of rooting for him, but also kind of not as much as I normally do. Also, on the subject of the World Cup, I've just been on a roller coaster journey whilst <laughs> um, Rosa was talking there because I thought, oh, well, let me just look at the fixtures. Oh, shit, of course the women are playing in December, unlike the men. What a great opportunity to go and watch Spurs women with my daughter. I've never been to Leighton Orient's ground. Excited for that. What is the fucking home game in December? It's West Ham. <laughs> Not like, and obviously, you know, I hate West Ham. <laughs> um, I would hope like a West Ham women, the women would be a bit more chilled, but hopefully a bit more family friendly. But it's extremely local for them, isn't it? Like the Leighton Orient oh, ground wouldn't yeah. be, it's a stone's throw from the Olympic Stadium. So you're uh, going to have yeah. to go, Tom. I think we're all going to have to go, actually. December, yeah. December the 11th, two, okay. two o'clock. I've just checked. There'll In. be no, there'll be no uh, men's football on. Let's all go. I have. Yeah. We have season tickets. We went mad after the Euros final and bought three season tickets for me and my wife and my daughter, um, which we're now a little bit like, Oh yeah, we've got those. <laughs> we have those tickets because they're so cheap. Like for for Delphine, our daughter, I think I worked it out. It, if you buy a season ticket, it costs out at like two pound twenty five a game or something. Insane! It is so so cheap. Um, but yeah, so I will do. We're going to do our best to get to as many as possible. We're just about to have another baby, so I think I'm going to have a few weekends where I'm going to need to sort of take our eldest out of the house and give my wife a bit of a break with the baby, et cetera. So I think we're going to get to quite a few. But... Want to go see some football, Delphine? Yeah. Come on. <laughs> you know that sport that you're being forced to enjoy? Let's go and get really cold <laughs> in Leighton. <laughs> um, anyway, that was, I enjoyed that chat about uh, non, kind of, I was going to say non-Spurs stuff. It's always Spurs related, essentially, when we talk about anything football, but let's talk about something completely non-Spurs now and get onto our culture picks. Um, I'm quite tempted just to spend 45 minutes talking about House of the Dragon. Um, I'm also quite happy that that, I think, is the first time I've managed to say House of the Dragon and not Game of Thrones when talking about House of the Dragon. So I'm so Tom, proud. Tom, I know dragon. you're not there yet. I, <laughs> say the, the dragon thing. The dragon thing, yeah. I, I'm, um, not, I'm not there yet. And also... The last episode I watched, I think for episode four, it was so a bit inc- it was so incesty that I that I haven't been able to pick it back up again. Oh, oh really? I okay. really love that. <laughs> I don't know. I said, oh, really? Like incest <laughs> oh. is now like. I, I really love that episode. Love that. Okay. I mean, I'm not so keen on the incest. I mean, to be honest, it's Game of Thrones. I don't really care, but um, I really like what they're doing with the show. Where I feel like they are actually trying to fix some of the more egregious mistakes that Game of Thrones made, like specifically when it comes to sort of women and sex. So 
I actually feel like that scene between Rhaenyra and Kristen, like I watched a director talk about it as well. And it was a female director and she was very interesting about having to approach it and try to do it from the sort of woman's perspective and how, when she was kind of thinking about sex scenes on film, like most of them are by men and that those pictures are just kind of in your mind. And it was actually quite hard work to sort of take herself out of that and to try to do something completely new and I feel like that she really succeeded, actually. And it's really interesting watching it now where, you, where obviously, I guess now they have kind of intimacy coordinators, coordinators and all of that stuff. And I feel like, I don't know, like I get a very different vibe off it, which I really enjoy. But, you know, I'm also just down to watch like two attractive people like mack on each other, let's be honest. <laughs> Matt, Matt Smith was great in it. I just couldn't get past the like uncle and, and niece thing. But that's Maybe me. don't watch any more then. Yeah, you, you may have hit the buffers with this show, okay, I think, Tom. Right. Um, <laughs> I, I must say, I thought, what was the one this week? Episode seven, Rosa? Yeah? Yeah. That was the episode for me where I'm like, uh, I now am like thinking about it when I'm not watching it. I'm sort of like gobbling up articles and trying to find podcasts that I can spend a quiet hour sort of really deep diving into. I don't think I'm quite at 2014 levels of Game of Thrones interest, which sort of peaked with my wife and I asking the organist at the church we got married in to learn the Game of Thrones theme to play for Emily to walk down the aisle to, which is a thing that actually happened, which now I look back on, I'm like, what the Christ <laughs> were we thinking? That's Listen, that bonkers, composer but... is a fucking genius. I never okay? knew that. It's a great like, theme. I didn't he know is incredible. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a fantastic theme and he is incredible like I it's think the quite, music um, for that for those shows is brilliant because like, they've still got it this season yeah. right? thank mm. god Which I, well, that, yeah. I feel like they missed a bit of an opportunity I think you it would have been nice to have out. something different yeah I do a little bit but no. then also it is absolutely iconic so I'm not ever sad it, to hear it Rosa it also makes us feel better if we can't be bothered to remember the new title and we just keep saying Game of Thrones so it's the same fucking song it's the same exactly a disgrace <laughs> um yeah this episode was amazing like two things about it like driftmark the palace like kudos to that set designer man didn't it look beautiful with like the sort of crackling fire in the middle and then the sort of like massive hall i thought the whole thing was stunning i know everyone was complaining about the darkness and that sort of weird twilight hard to see sort of way they shot it etc but i thought it looked stunning and was so different and I felt like the fact that you had to sort of like strain and struggle to sort of quite see what was going on was sort of the point because a lot Mm. of things were happening that if you were there you would be straining to see because people were doing things illicit and that they shouldn't be doing and it I thought it just looked spectacular I really thought yeah it's meant to be sort of yeah like murky and unknowable yeah Yeah. and it did and the bits you could see looked beautiful and Mm. that scene that we won't give any spoilers away but the scene where like the whole cast basically is together that like next level acting from everybody i i stood up at one point like i i rose to my feet like you're in the theater brother i know i was like (laughs) just Awful, but yeah, I'm so bang into it now. Um, I feel like we're going to lose Billy because Billy is not a dragon person. Um, Billy, tell us about what you've been enjoying culturally this week, my friend. 
Um, so I didn't watch a second of football on Saturday, which turned out to be a very, very good thing because I was at a rave um, at Beams, which is like a new venue in London, which is well good. It's well worth Yeah, tell out. us about it because I'm dying to know, like, kind what's of like, your verdict? It's kind of like, it's comparable to like Printworks. It's like that kind of size venue, but I prefer it to Printworks because Printworks is like overwhelmingly big, whereas this is more confined warehouse type vibes. And um, it's just like a, a really good atmosphere in there because there's like, like the security presence is better than it is in places um, where it's a bit heavy handed and a bit intrusive. Um, so yeah, I had a really, really good time there. And um, uh, I saw Hot Sense 82 there and he played this song, which has been one of my favorite songs for the last couple of years. But I realized when the, the crowd reaction that I got, it's like the current like anthem. Um, and it's another house music song, but it's, um, it's by this Lithuanian trio called Odin and Fatso and it's called Lauren. And um the crowd reaction that I got was like insane. And there's a really good YouTube video, Boiler Room of Odin and Fatso. Like, they're this insane Lithuanian trio and they wear like space outfits when they DJ. It's, it's, it has to be seen to be believed, really. But if you watch their Boiler Room and you watch when they play the song, the crowd goes like absolutely berserk. So I realized it's become like some kind of anthem for like the this for the scene of, of house music people. So, um, yeah, so it's called Lauren. It's really good. And I'm not really watching that much other than Dharma at the moment, which I'm, I'm kind of equally measured liking and also being like horrifically, um, you know, I, I find it very, very hard to watch at times as well because it is so horrific. And what makes it worse is the fact that it's all, like a, you know, a true story. Obviously, Ryan Murphy is obviously going to play with the truth at times, but um, it's quite, unco- it's very, very uncomfortable watch, particularly of the way that the police handled a lot of the situation in America. So that's been a difficult watch. And I'm also, um, I don't know if Rosa is as well, but I'm also watching Andor, which I'm loving, which is, um, it's kind of like Star Wars, but it's not really Star Wars. It's kind of like the least um, Star Wars, the Star Wars that I've seen, but I'm really enjoying it so far. I haven't seen the fourth episode yet, which dropped today, but are you watching that as well, Rosa? Yeah, I'm loving it. We're also, yeah, so we're three episodes in. And yeah, like, like, again, I feel like, the set design on that is really impeccable as well. It's just got a different vibe. Like for once, we don't have to go back to like Tatooine. So it's like, it's just nice to see like a whole different place. And I yeah, love much better that. than um, I'm finding it much better design than Obi-Wan and stuff like that was. Because yeah, it just looks... Like new places and it just looks better. It looks like everybody's really just taken a lot of care with it. And it just feels like more kind of serious grown-up show without being kind of heavy-handed or sort of like... I don't know, too dark. It's just really good. And it's got a great cast. Like whenever Fiona Shaw pops up, you always, you always know you're in really good hands, basically, don't you? I also love that everyone's just like randomly Scottish or like Scouse. And like this yeah. In space, <laughs> apparently everyone is like English, UK, oh, Scottish, Scouse. That's brilliant. So <laughs> yeah, that's what I've been watching. Show, yeah. really. Very like comfortable leather um, jackets that everyone's wearing, I find. Yeah. That's, that's my other main takeaway from it. Very good. Very good. Um, Tom, over to you, mate. I just finished a book that I feel like I should recommend to Rosa if she hasn't read, because um, it's kind of, you're into psychotherapy, right? Yeah, I've got a thumbs up. Um, no, it's called Case Study. Um, okay, so it is by um, Graham McRae Burnett, a uh, Scottish author. He's been about for a while. It made the book a long list. And it's about the 60s and the kind of alternative psychotherapy uh, scene that is obviously slightly born out of um, 
swinging London, I guess, and drugs and kind of hippies and stuff. Uh, it's the very start of that. It's kind of mid, mid-60s. And it's uh, fiction, but there are real-life people uh, contained within it and I think real kind of alternative psychotherapists. Um, and it's also just about people and women and uh, it's really interesting. It's worth a read. It's called Case Study and totally different to that. The Green Tea Peng album is very good. It's like the return of trip hop. It's very kind of bass heavy, reggae influence, but also, yeah, very smoky. Reminds you of those like tricky and... Uh, Martina Topley Bird records from um, all those years back. So love Martina Topley Bird. Yeah, I mean, honestly, if you like her, I think Green Tea Peng is like a kind of natural successor. I think it's her second album. Uh, Wait, it's got a funny title. What's it called? Um, Now I can't find it. But yeah, anyway, she's, she's really good. And it's a really good green green zone 108 it's called um but it's she's kind of flown under the radar a bit mm. i think she's loved by six music but she deserves better than that if you know what i mean <laughs> it shouldn't just be for beard strokey kind of 40 year olds although that is also me <laughs> she, tom um, can we talk a little bit about it. sorry i'll let you get back to your chin strokey music in a minute can we just have a little strictly sidebar very quickly <laughs> Oh shit! I was gonna. Yeah, I'm also watching Bad Sisters, which we're gonna have to do more on at some point because that's really good on Apple TV. Um, but yeah, Strictly, the best show on TV is back. Uh, it's really great. I've no idea who my favorite. This guy Richie's very good with Geo. No idea what he does. I think he's on Radio Two. And there's another guy who's on Kiss, who's also very good, who's with Diane Redhead, Flame yes. Diane. Those are my. They're probably my. Um, early favourites and then obviously oh Ellie Taylor from uh, Ted Lasso is yeah because she's with Johannes who is amazing oh Johannes so, is the yeah. best, isn't he he was amazing so he's obviously the best dancer Sunday group dance he was brilliant wasn't he incredible incredible I really I loved um, Ellie and Nikita's waltz I was like do I just love a waltz because it's also kind of dreamy and romantic but I actually think theirs was really lovely as well so they're good I like um I'm like obsessed with Karen and her like various wet look hairstyles because I don't really understand how she can get away with it. But she looks so fierce and cool. And And I like, yeah. yeah. And she's, so she's with, is it Jade? Yes. Yeah. I like their stuff. Yeah. She's very funny. Yeah. But she's dancing really well, I think. So I'm just so glad it's been like about five years since I've properly watched it and I'm fully into it. And I think I'm just like gradually the kids are showing interest. So basically I think I've, I'm, I'm just slowly getting them hooked. Bottle of red wine and a takeaway. Yeah, perfect. No greater joy. And Charlie, mm-hmm. you're going to have a little extra child very soon. Uh, so you should, uh, you're going to have some Saturday nights in is what I'm saying. You need to strictly in your life. Yeah, I don't know why we've never quite taken the leap to get into it properly, but we've got it all recorded. And I know part of the fun is watching it sort of live and joining in the chat online and stuff. But I think we're going to kind of catch up to where everyone else is once the baby arrives. And like you say, we don't go out for any evenings ever again. Um, it's also, but it is, although it's fun tweeting along, 
at the moment, the show is so long because there are so many dancers. So it's actually good to be on catch up because you can forward through a lot of the VT. That's true. It's like, yeah. Remember when like the X Factor was on and those early shows would be like yeah. three and a half oh, hours because so there were also, so many people. Crucially, you can fast forward through Tony Adams. I was just going to say, that's exactly ah. what I did. Is he still there? I thought he was... Oh, is he, no. he's not going to do he's a Bill terrible. Bailey, he's is so, he? He's he so bad. No, he won't oh. because he's so bad. But he is he's bad enough that he's getting the pity vote at the, at the moment. But that's only going to go on for another couple of weeks. I'm almost certain. We are living through a testing timeline at the moment, aren't we? Where we it's are, like everything Arsenal seems to just be coming up for him. It's this. It is... won't last. It won't last. I have to. I have to believe in better things. Yeah, you are wearing a red hoodie today, Rosa. Which is listen. Weird. I'm not. I'm not letting them take away one of my favourite colours. I'm sorry. I refuse. Red's one. Red's one of your favourite colours. Yeah, interesting. Man. Yeah. Okay. I, I know. I feel I, weird about it sometimes, but then I'm like, no, they can't take this from me. I, I look terrible in red, so I can't really do red anyway. Um, but that's interesting. That's really, Billy, Tom, do you wear any red? Or is, have you got I'm any? I'm one of those really childish Tottenham fans that refuse to even entertain the idea of wearing reds. And um, yeah, it's totally outlawed in my house completely. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> on I, that level of petty, to be honest. Same. I avoid red uh, and think very hard about buying anything red. I think I have one red jumper, but every time I wear it, I think of them. I feel like we should, we should we're going to have to put this to like a Twitter poll tomorrow. I'm I am like genuinely interested because I I do have a few red things, but similarly to Tom, I do always think like oh, like it's quite Arsenal, isn't it? And then I'm also aware of how childish that is and ridiculous and as it, it's like I'm not out there promoting Arsenal by me wearing a red fleece or something it's I mean ridiculous. to be honest Arsenal fans would literally take it that you were like <laughs> they are that's ridiculous well, so they, it's not they, entirely crazy they just go and wear actual Arsenal tops into work as Tom discovered this week I can't get over that don't get me started just <laughs> the only fan base that would do that by oh, the way horrible. the only fan base I, um, I met my, my parents of my new class on Tuesday and uh, one of the kids is an Arsenal fan. He wore an Arsenal shirt to PE and it's the first time I was meeting my parents and they, his parents come up to me and I said, oh, how's he settling in? And I just, I went for like a straight gamble of an Arsenal joke. I said, yeah, he's doing great, but um, he wore an Arsenal shirt in for PE, which is really not going to fly this year. And thankfully they took it in like good grace and stuff. But I did say like, seriously though, he can't be wearing that again in PE. So if you could wear, refer to the uniform policy, that would be great. And Billy, I don't know if you can answer this question honestly or or not, but did it make you think less of this child? And will you be treating him in a more harsh fashion going forward? Oh, without doubt, like his his future is seriously in doubt. Like he's not going to pass the sets as a result of this. So unlucky. It's just a it's the way that life goes. I'm afraid. Good. I'm glad that we've got someone like you uh, sort of navigating our children's futures for sure. Um, is anyone? Oh, I haven't done any culture things, have I? Um, the the dragon stuff is sort of taken over a lot of my culturally thoughts. Um, what else have I been watching? Um, oh, I watched that Figo documentary on Netflix um, about his transfer from Barcelona to Real Madrid, which I thought I only really watched it because Emily was on a Zoom sort of baby shower thing with some of her friends, and I was still in that like. I don't really want to watch any actual football because I was still sort of 
you know, a bit moody after the derby and most of the shows that we're watching at the minute, we're watching together. So I was like, oh, I need to find something. And I chanced upon that and was like, okay, I'll give that a shot. Thought it was going to be terrible. Actually, really well put together. Um, Figo himself is quite an interesting sort of, he's not a villain, but he did, I don't think he comes over sort of necessarily brilliantly out of the whole saga, but he's also kind of wonderfully unrepentant about it all. And he looks so incredible. Like he's still got like that mane of hair and like just is so well put together. Um, you kind of end up being like, yeah, okay. You did one of the most like dastardly sort of transfer like maneuvers you could possibly pull, but I just think you're wonderful. Um, but yeah, really I guess if you had like a, pig's head thrown at you after you'd just be like do you know what fuck it i don't care <laughs> yeah yeah and it was I'll, shocking yeah. that tra- i was actually i was not not the pig's head thing is not shocking but like that transfer i remember just being like oh my god he's doing what yeah it's um it is kind of fun to be reminded of that era of football as well that sort of very early noughties i don't know i mean i th- it obviously wasn't fun from a spurs perspective because we were like so so bad then but just when it wasn't just like Ronaldo, Messi, and that was it, where there were players like Figo that were kind of like up there as the best in the world, but they weren't like scoring 50 goals a season. It felt a bit more kind of, I don't know, maybe football was a bit more stylish back then. I'm not sure. But it was a reminder of what an incredible player he was as well, because I think he's one of those sort of greats of recent times that's sort of been lost a bit to, you know, people becoming obsessed about stats and FIFA and... Christ, I'm sounding like I'm like 96 years old at the moment, aren't I? But it's it's really good. Um, oh, I'm also really excited about watching The Bear because um, that finally reaches UK TV this week on Disney+. Plus. Um, so I'm really, really excited to get stuck into that next week once I'm on uh, paternity leave. So that, I mean, I am slightly nervous because I can already feel how obsessed Emily, my wife, is becoming with the bloke in it. Um who I think has become a real sort of thirst king of uh, of on sort of online. Is this the places. restaurant? Yeah, so it was guy a guy who played who Lip in the American version of Shameless. Ah, okay. Yeah, which okay. I never watched, but like for some reason, I've I've seen like enough of his face that every time I saw like a trailer or anything for that show, I was like, where? Did I, I, like I kept having to check and think like, I know him from somewhere. Like I don't mm. really know him from somewhere, but anyway, that's and who girls. he is. He was yeah. in Girls, right? He was, was he? N- no. But I think Go someone there. from Girls is in it. Isn't it? Um, what's his chops? My favourite character from Girls. Who was married to Desi. Marnie? That's awful. I think Desi's in it. Is he yeah. in it as well? Desi's what a king. Yeah, what a, I mean, what a Loved garbage guy. king, but oh. <laughs> a fantastic actor. One of the great, <laughs> sort of side characters of recent times, in my opinion, Desi. Just yeah. so, in fact, I think we were talking about it the other day because going back to um, Bad Sisters, Tom, I feel like Desi is the last person, sorry, JP in uh, in Bad Sisters is the first character since Desi and Girls that has made Emily, my wife, be so furious. Yeah. And like, she hates, horrible, she like hates that, JP yeah. so much that she... She was like, I've not hated anyone this much since Desi and Girls. That's how bad he is. Um, and it's kind of wonderful that Desi from Girls is now back in our lives as he does star in The Bear. Um, but yeah, I think it's about, I haven't actually watched it yet, but I think it's about a dude who's a sort of hipster chef, um, 
you know, one of those sort of tattoo, does too many drugs, rock and roll chef types that moves back to Chicago, I want to say. I should have should have really Googled this before talking about it, but he moves back to inherit his family sandwich shop because um, I think his parents both pass away. Uh, and yeah, sort of chaos ensues, I'm sure. But it sounds really, really great. It's got rave reviews. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah, man, I can't wait for that. And just you were saying that actually just reminded me that Industry is back and I'm absolutely yes. loving that. I've got to say that. That is such a good show. If you haven't seen Industry... We've, we've been it. saving it for next so when we're at home. episode of Series 2. It's a good. It's, it's well good. It's like straight back into it. Boom. We forgot how good it was. I'm loving it. So yeah, man, that and The Bear are like two shows which have been on in America for ages and just finally coming here. So yeah. It was actually well annoying that the States got the second season of Industry like months before us. Yeah, BBC it? did us like dirty of that. Yeah. Um, did you guys, Rose, the time, did you watch the first season of Industry? I watched a bit of the first episode and I just wasn't in the right frame of mind. I felt like I needed to concentrate more because it's quite first, fast paced, isn't it? Isn't mm. it? And um, a light, it doesn't, it's one of those HBO shows that doesn't explain the world that you're sort of chucked in. You have to kind of catch up yourself. But I'm up for it, and everyone's saying how good it is. So I know, yeah, Ash is a big fan, isn't he? So I feel like we'll have a big industry deep dive when Ash is back with us. Um, Rosie, you've not watched it, no? No, I haven't at all. I don't know why. I just, I feel like I just kind of completely missed all the noise around it. But that's almost made me feel quite nostalgic that whole like thing of having to wait absolutely months for a show to land <laughs> here after it had been in america i'm like oh just just if we're gonna like hark back to like the early noughties that was that was a whole vibe back then as well <laughs> it really was yeah getting shows like three years after they uh, after they hit the states um right i reckon that's us done thank you ever so much tom rosa billy enjoyed as always your company um Big week for Spurs. We'll be with you after the weekend's action um, to preview uh, the game with who are we playing. We're playing Eintracht Frankfurt at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium on Wednesday. So we'll do our best to record ahead of that and review the Brighton game. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for listening. Billy, see you soon. Up the Spurs.